The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Cricket Albertson. Welcome. I'm so glad to be with you today. And uh, as we are working today through the Gospel of Mark, our story this week comes from Mark chapter 3. And we're going to read in our Bibles from uh, 3, 1 through 6. So if you have your Bible, look with me at God's Word. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. And then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silence. And when they had looked around at him with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. And then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians how they might destroy him. So I was, as I was in my hotel room in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and I was reading through the Gospel of Mark, and I was mesmerized with the person of Jesus that the Gospel of Mark uh, gives to us, the picture of Jesus that the, the Gospel of Mark gives to us. And so the one we talked about last week was he, the paralytic, and he came, and he came as God himself coming with the ability to forgive sins. And now we have Jesus coming and claiming authority to make the withered whole. And this is what amazed me. Not only is he the one who can make the wrong things right, he is the one who makes the withered whole. And this was particularly meaningful to me this week because I knew this week as I was working on this message, there are things in my heart, in my family that are withered, that need the touch of Jesus. And so I thought, okay, I want to see how God goes about making the withered whole in our life through the person of his son, Jesus. And so I wanted to read the context of this whole story because it's, this, it's, it's the third miracle story in the Gospel of Mark. Um, and I thought, okay, I want to see what else is going on around it. So I went back to chapter 2. And at the end of chapter 2, you, you, you have Jesus healing the paralytic man, him rising and going home, healed, with his sins forgiven. And then you have this little um, paragraph that actually gives you three different stories about the Sabbath. And I want us to look at these real quickly before we get to our um, our hand about our story about the man with the withered hand, because I think they are what shed light on on our story. So the first one, we're going to read a little bit more, um, and we're going to start with Mark two um, verse eighteen. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting, and then they came and said to Jesus, "Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast?" And Jesus said to them, "Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them?" As long as they have the bridegroom, they cannot fast. But the days are coming when the bridegroom will be taken away, and then they will fast in those days. Then in verse 21, this is the second little story. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece will pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins, and the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. And then the third little story is, comes in verse 25. And Jesus said to them, okay, and the disciples were walking through the grain fields and they were picking the heads of grain. And the Pharisees come and say, what are your disciples doing? They shouldn't be working on the Sabbath. And then Jesus says this to, to them in verse 25. Have you never read what Jesus did when he was in need and hungry? He and those who were with him. 
how he went to the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So these are the three little pericopes, these little stories that come before the, the man with the withered hand is healed. And as I was thinking about it, I thought of the first one, and I thought, so who is the one that makes us whole? Who is the one that takes the withered in our life and makes it whole? And the first thing that Jesus says in verse 19 is a, is a description of himself. And he calls himself the bridegroom. And this one little verse, Jesus redefines the whole meaning of history. So in, the, in all the religions of the world, up to this point, all of them believed in a cyclical view of history. It was based on the seasons, it was based on the calendar, and life just kind of went over and over and over in a pattern, it was unending. The Jewish people with Moses were the very first people who said, wait a minute, we were created, and there's a, we're, we're moving, we're moving in a direction towards an ending, and that ending will be our union with God. And so the Jews were the first people who believed in this, and now Jesus is coming and said, not only are you moving to this, um, uh, to living with God, now God himself is coming to be with you. And so the fullness of time is happening in this moment. And the way Jesus tells about it is that it's like a bridegroom is coming. And this is super interesting because history begins with a wedding between Adam and Eve, and history is going to, to end with a wedding with the, um, with the marriage supper of the Lamb and his bride. And now Jesus comes and he says, I am the bridegroom and I have come. And the reason we're not fasting is because this is a celebration. The bridegroom has come. And you'll, you'll remember um, in the different parables, one, of the, one a parable in Matthew and in Luke. I think it's Luke 14 and Matthew 25, where he says, there's, a, there's a, a man and he is making a wedding feast for his son. And then it tells the parable of how they go out and try to draw people to the wedding feast for his son. And it's a parable of Jesus. It's a parable of the Father sending his son to be united with his world. And then you have Jesus' first miracle at a wedding feast. And then you have John the Baptist saying, the one who has the bride is a bride, the bridegroom. I am only a friend of the bridegroom. And I must decrease, he must increase. So human history is being understood in terms of a wedding ceremony. And when Jesus himself comes, he says, I am the bridegroom. I am the one for whom you've been waiting. I am the one who's, who has, I've wedded myself to my creation. And now I want to wed myself to you, to those who will believe in me. And so Jesus comes as this fulfillment of human history. And in this moment in Mark 3, this is what he's saying. I come as the bridegroom. Now, I want, to, I want to link this with the first miracle story that occurs after Jesus says this. I'm the bridegroom. I've come for you. And it's my love that is going to make the withered in you whole. So Jesus, like all these stories, Jesus is saying this on a national level to the Jews. He's saying, I have come at the fulfillment of all time. And I am rewriting your story in light of myself. But he also comes into our lives individually as the bridegroom. And he says, I have come to you in my love to make the withered whole. I remember when um, I married my husband and we were in some kind of disagreement about something. And I was trying to protect myself and kind of defend my rights and prove myself to him. And he looked at me kind of in exasperation and he said to me, I never make a decision without considering you. 
And for me in that moment, it was like the light burst on and I thought, I don't have to protect myself anymore. I don't have to fight for myself anymore. He is fighting for me. I can relax and I can trust him. And it was a revolution in our marriage, that one statement. And I thought, okay, it's safe to trust him. When the bridegroom comes, when the bridegroom comes with love, then our hearts are free to trust to rest in him, and then the withered places in our soul begin to be made whole. So with the first of all, he comes as a bridegroom. But then they go. he goes on and he says, um, nobody, you can't put old wine, old wine into new wineskins or else it's going to burst the wineskins and everything's going to be ruined. And Jesus is basically saying, I am coming to do something new. Isaiah 43 says this. Behold, I am coming to do something new. Can you not perceive it? The old is gone, the new has come. And when Jesus comes into our lives to make the withered whole, he comes as the one who makes all things new. And one of the things I'm interested in is in the history of Judaism, you have God giving the covenant on Mount Sinai, and then you have the kingdom, and then you have the prophets, and then you have the Jewish people establishing their identity in terms of this covenant. And Jesus comes and he's saying, I'm not nullifying that. I'm not, I'm not putting that away. I'm fulfilling that. But if you try to make me fit into your old system, then it will explode. If you, what has to happen when Jesus, when we encounter Jesus, what has to happen is we have to redefine our lives in terms of him. So the covenant and the people of God were, what he intended was that for them to meet him and then redefine themselves in terms of him as the fulfillment. And so God wanted to come and tabernacle with his people. Remember in um, the way they set up the tabernacle, the tabernacle was in the middle and they had four tribes, I mean three tribes on each side. So God's presence was in the middle and they were to dwell with him and he was to be their God and they were to be his people. And now Jesus says, that's what I want to happen. I want you to order your life around me. I'm the center and all else has to fit around me. If you try... If you try to force me into the old model, if you try to go on and do your normal life and just add Jesus to it, there will be an explosion. He won't fit. And it's funny because he was saying that on a national level for the Jews. You can't force me, and particularly this is dealing with the Sabbath. And so he's basically saying, it's not the Sabbath um, laws that I'm supposed to keep. It's the Lord of the Sabbath who's coming. And it's he, he is the one that you are to orient your life around, not forcing him to follow the rules. And so we find that whenever we invite Jesus into our lives, he radically reorients us around himself. And one of the things I'm finding is that in my 40s, loving Jesus for a really long time. And all of a sudden he's saying, there are more places in your life where I want to reorient you around myself. Maybe you've tried to keep on going, thinking thinking the way you've always thought, doing things the way you've always done. And he said, Cricket, I think I, I want to come in and do something new that radically reorients you around around me. Are you willing? And that's a place of vulnerability. That's a place where we open up our lives to him and say, this is where you've led me. Now, Jesus, come in and reorient me around yourself. And that's what he wants to do. When he comes to make the withered whole, that's what he wants to do. Are you willing to let me be the center? Are you willing to get rid of everything else and let me re, re, make you new? Make you new. And that's what Jesus comes to do. That's what he wanted to do the Jewish people, and that's what he wants to do in our lives.
And then the third little story that takes place here is when um, the Pharisees are plucking the heads of grain. I mean, the, the disciples are plucking the heads of grain and the Pharisees are complaining because he's not following the rules. He's not keeping the old covenant. And then Jesus tells this story about David. Now this happens in 1 Samuel 21 and I was reading it in my devotions um, in the last couple of weeks and I was horrified by this story. This is what happens. David and um, Jonathan are trying to figure out if Saul is really trying to kill David. And so remember, Saul goes to the dinner with his father, and David goes and hides in the field. And then Jonathan says, if my father is really going to kill you, I will come and I will shoot an arrow, and I, that will let you know if you need to flee or if you're safe to return. And so in the process of the evening, uh, Jonathan finds out that Saul really does intend to kill him. And so he comes out and he shoots the arrow and tells the little boy, the arrow is beyond you, which was what their signal that you need to flee. It's not safe. And so David, without picking up anything with no food and no weapons, he just, he just flees. And there's a little town of Nob and it's outside of Jerusalem to the northeast of Jerusalem. So he flees to this town and it's a community of priests. And he comes to the, the priest, Ahimelech, there. And he says, I need bread. I don't have any bread, and my men don't have any bread. And Ahimelech says to him, the only bread that we have here is the bread of the presence. And he said, well, well, give me that. That's what my men need. And so the priest gives David the bread of the presence and the, and the, and the sword of Goliath. And then David takes off and goes into Judah where Saul can't reach him. But there was a servant of Saul who was there at Nob that day, Doeg. And he goes back to Saul and he says to Saul, um, tell Saul what happened and what the priest did and that the priest gave to David the, um, the bread of the presence. And so it's not too many days until Saul and his army come to Nob and they, um, they find Elimelech and they say, what have you done? And he said, All I, David is not your enemy. I didn't, I have not befriended a traitor. He's not your enemy. All I did was give him bread and the sword of Goliath. And Saul says, I'm going to destroy you and all, and all the priests in this town. And so he turns to his military men and he says, strike down these, these priests. And the men refuse. And so then he turns to Doeg, this servant, and he says, you strike them down. And the text says that Doeg struck down 85 priests and their families that day and wiped out wiped out that whole um, group of men who faithfully followed the Lord. And that's the story God, that, that, um, that Jesus is referring to. And it was interesting to me because I thought, I wonder when Ahimelech got to heaven and he encountered God the Father. And I wonder if God the Father said something to him like this, you gave the bread of the presence to David the one who is to be king over all my people. And it's the son of David whose body is the bread of the presence for my people, the whole world. In some way, it was the first act of communion, a foreshadowing of communion. The bread of the presence given to David and then the son of David giving his life as the bread of the presence for the world. And I could hear God just saying in my thoughts, I thought, I know God said to him, well done, well done you have given a symbol of the ultimate reality. And then Jesus comes and says, based on this story, Jesus comes and said, the Sabbath is not made for man. It's not for man to follow the rules. The Sabbath is to give life 
And now I have come and I am the one who gives life to you. And I have come as the bread of the presence to feed you. And I have come as Lord of the Sabbath to give life. And so Jesus, as he comes to this story of the man with a withered hand, he comes as the Lord of life and he comes as the bread of life, the one who feeds our souls and the one who makes alive. So this is the background for the man with a withered hand. So then we come to the synagogue, which is the place where everything points to Jesus, right? Everything in the synagogue is a pointer to the Messiah. And Jesus comes in and there's a man with a withered hand. And he must have been on the outskirts because he had a deformity. So his hand was withered and he couldn't use it. And the only other people we know are there are the Pharisees and they are watching. And they are watching for one particular thing. Will he break the Sabbath? So now we've had them be at the healing of the paralytic and God and Jesus declared that he was Lord of all and he had the power to forgive sins. And now we have them watching. Will he break the Sabbath? Will he break the old covenant? And Jesus looks at the man with the withered hand and he says, stretch out your hand. So the man stretches out his hand. And then while the man's standing there, Jesus turns to the Pharisees and he says to them, what is better to do on the Sabbath? Do you do good or do harm? Do you save life or do you kill life? And then he pauses. And in the story of the paralytic, when he addresses the Pharisees, he says, why are you thinking? Which is easier. Um, and then he doesn't give him a chance to respond in the story of the paralytic. He just goes on and says, so you, that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, arise, take up your mat and go. But in this story, he pauses. He asks him a question and says, what is, it, what is the best thing to do on the Sabbath, to save life or to destroy life? And then he waits. And the Pharisees remain silent. They refuse to acknowledge him. And I think what he's doing here is giving them an opportunity. Will you acknowledge me as Lord of the Sabbath? Will you acknowledge me as the bridegroom who has come to fulfill my people's story? Will you acknowledge me as the one who can make all things new? Will you acknowledge me as the one who has the power over sickness and over all that is withered? And they keep silent. And I know, and then he, you can feel in his heart the, the frustration. And he says the anger, the text says he's angry. He's angry at those who turn away from helping the man and they don't want him to be helped. And then they um, reject Jesus. And sometimes I think in our um, attempt to control, we say, this is how we want God to work. If he doesn't work this way, we, won't, we, we are not going to let him in. And that's exactly what the disciples said. We would rather this man live with a withered hand than, than we um, be forced to give up our religious um, observances or, or leave our comfort zone. And they said, we would rather, um, we would rather, we would rather him suffer and be in pain than let go and let Jesus in. And anytime we choose to remain silent, when Jesus asks us to respond to him, we become part of those that are involved in bringing death and not life. But anytime we open up and say, oh boy, Jesus, do whatever you want to do in my life, do whatever you want to do, then Jesus is an opportunity to bring life, not only to our own hearts, but to bring life to the hearts of those around us. That's when he has a chance to make the withered whole. So in anger and in, and in grief, he turns away from the Pharisees, says to the man, stretch out your hand. And as soon as he does, his hand is made whole and restored. 
just like his other hand. And you would think instead of his hand, his hand I'm sure was useless. It was turned in and all of a sudden he can reach out, reach out towards Jesus. All of a sudden he can reach out towards work, towards family, towards his love. And all that's been turned in, all that's been useless, all that's been immobile, Jesus makes whole and restores. Now I think it's very interesting because we don't know this man's reaction. It doesn't say what the man does. It doesn't say what the people are watching do. All that it says is that the Pharisees leave the house that day and they go and plot how they can destroy Jesus. And when we say no to Jesus, I don't want to let you in. You require too much and you are too radical because you, re, you and when I acknowledge you as Lord, it means a total reorientation of my life and I'm not ready to do that. And that's what the Pharisees said. And whenever we say no to him like that, then we become part of the destruction. So they went and began to plot how they could destroy him. Now, the amazing thing to me is that it's um, Mark 3. It's the beginning of Mark 3. This is the very beginning of Jesus' story in Mark. And already, already we have this force that's saying, no, we don't want anything to do with him. And we actually want to see that he comes, um, he comes to an end. And so, and so they go out and plot his destruction. But the man with the withered hand is made whole and restored. And I think that's what Jesus wants to do in us. I think he wants to come and say, are you willing to reorient your life around me? Are you willing to acknowledge me as a bridegroom? Are you willing to say to me, make all things new, do whatever it takes. And are you willing to let me be the bread of life, the Lord of life who comes to you and say, I can break through all your bondages and all your brokenness and all your baggage, and I can bring life and make what is withered in your life whole. And that's what he wants to do. And that's what he can do. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you're the Lord of life. And when you come, all of our life is different. And so, Jesus, we just welcome you into our lives today and just say, come, Jesus, and do whatever you need to do to make the withered places in our souls whole, to make the withered places in our families whole, to make the withered places in our society whole, to make the withered places in our nation and in our world whole. The one we need is you, and so we welcome you in Jesus' name. If you want to learn more about Titus Women, visit us online at tituswomen.org.